Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Buckeye Extra Football Podcast. I'm Joey Kaufman, joined by Bill Rabinowitz and Rob Aller. We are here to break down Ohio State's 35-16 to win over Rutgers, a series of games that is generally not ever competitive at all. Last year was the first time Rutgers had ever had a lead over Ohio State. Well, Saturday, Rutgers had a lead at halftime over Ohio State, 9-7 before the Buckeyes eventually rallied in the second half. But but maybe this isn't your father's Rutgers. Greg Shiano has the certainly them rolling and all that. Uh, what would you guys think of the game? Well, you know, Rutgers once upon a time was good when in Shiano's first tenure. And then after he left, they went back to being the dregs of college football. This is fourth year now, so he's had a chance to build up the program, get some depth, and, and that's a, a credible team. You know, they're not great, but they they play really good defense. They don't let you have big plays, and they run the ball pretty well. And that's a formula that can keep you in a lot of games. You know, Ohio State honestly is lucky that they were not in deeper trouble because Rutgers was in the red zone repeatedly in the first half and had to settle for field goals. And then, of course, the biggest play of the game, they were at the Ohio State 20-yard line, up 9-7, and Jordan Proctor breaks up the pass. Jordan Hancock intercepts it for a pick six, and that obviously changed the whole game. You know, if Rutgers scores a couple of those touchdowns on the in the red zone and, and capitalizes on that first drive of the third quarter, we're talking a real serious threat. Um, but Ohio State tends to find a way to, to turn the tide and, and win these games. I mean, they don't always look pretty, but they, they get it done. I'm just curious, this whole thing of slow starts. I think that was an issue last year, wasn't it? I've heard it seems like that's a recurring theme, uh, whether it's under Day or maybe under Urban. You know, how, how, why, what's going on there? I think that's probably driving Ryan Day crazy. Like, why aren't we why aren't we clicking until the second half? And I know there's the issue of well, we just wear down the opponents, we have more depth. The running game, we're wearing guys down, and it takes till the middle of the third quarter or fourth quarter for us to really start to dominate. But that really shouldn't be the case. So I'm sure they're, uh, I'm sure they're just kind of confused as as most of Buckeye Nation are about why this team cannot start fast and look really good right out of the gate. Some of the times it is due to them. I think just committing gaffes and blunders, particularly on special teams, because this was the second time in a span of five games in which Ohio State had a drive early on in the game. They had to punt. It's fourth down. They're deep in their own territory. And we look down from the press box and you're confused on why Ohio State is running a fake punt. And it turns out Ohio State is not running a fake punt. Uh, against Maryland last month, uh, they snapped the ball to the up back instead of the punter, um, which is unusual uh, to do it just that way, not intentionally. Uh, you don't see that every day. And then this week, it was a case where uh, Jesse Murko took off running, and Ryan said it was a miscommunication. Just very unusual. And in both of those times, it set up uh, the opponent for an easy score. That's why Ohio State's falling behind is when you you, you get in a field goal position game that, that badly, well, that happens. Uh, 
you know, I don't have the answer. I don't think Ryan Day has the answer for the slow starts. It, it is an issue. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe if the other team is so pumped up that they kind of give it their best shot early, and then you know you could only sustain that for so long. But but you can you the other team scripts their their first drive generally. You have a you can control things that way. Um, you know, but no, it doesn't really make sense. Um, you know, Ohio State did score on their second drive. I mean, Ohio State didn't fall behind. They did take a 7 nothing lead, so it shouldn't be overstated. But, you know, the, to me, the thing is, why can't Ohio State's offense just click consistently? We know the offensive line isn't great. We belabored that all year. It's just it's just what it is. You know, I think we agree that Kyle McCord is a, is a more than competent quarterback, but he's not, has not played at the level of his three predecessors, Dwayne Haskins and and uh, Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud. And, you know, that's no crime. I mean, those guys are incredibly special. They're incredibly special players. You, they don't – I mean, Ohio State's incredibly fortunate to have had those three guys. And, and Kyle McCord is – you know, if you didn't have those guys, you'd think, okay, Kyle McCord's fine. But the standard is so high that when he throws a pick like he did the other day when Marvin Harrison was open – not wide open, but open enough to get the ball to him, and he threw a flat pass, and the linebacker made a terrific play, jumped, made a leaping interception, and that's that sets up as a score. If he completes that pass, and Ohio State's probably at least at midfield, and they're driving, so it may just be they they need to get their legs under them in a game, makes you know get their they they their little mistakes, and and then get serious. But you know they've had such extended periods of offensive futility this year, so uncharacteristic of a Ryan Day offense that it just makes you shake your head. But they're number one in the country for, for another day. Tuesday uh, night. Yeah. Although I don't know if it'll necessarily change Tuesday night at the losing number one ranking, but uh, Georgia did get a win over Missouri. It'll bolster its its case, and that was it. That'll be a top fifteen, top twenty win. Yeah, I mean, if you want to just stay on that topic briefly, it did not help Ohio State's cause that Notre Dame lost and uh, also Wisconsin lost. So, I mean, Wisconsin was, yeah, that was a nice win. It wasn't a huge win, but it was on the road at night. And, you know, the Badgers are traditionally pretty decent, although this year it's not going well for Luke Fickle there. But Notre Dame... Now it has three losses, and uh, you know Ohio State needed you know the last play to win there. Now again, that was on the road, so the committee will look at all that. I would not be shocked. Actually, I I, I might be surprised if Ohio State remains number one. I think Georgia probably goes to number one, um, but that'd just be my that'd just be my guess. I'd agree with that because I think the four teams at the top last week, Michigan and Florida State, and the others uh, were pretty close. And they, I, we do know the principle of the voting is you start from scratch every week. You don't go by precedent. That's what happens in the in the media polls and the coaches' polls. Is the writers and the coaches say, "Well, I had them there last week. I'll keep them there this week, and then they unless they lose." That's kind of the mentality that a lot of poll voters have. The committee starts from scratch every week, and yes, the Notre Dame loss is a win is devalued. Wisconsin loss is now pretty much meaningless, right? A Wisconsin win is pretty meaningless. I mean, you lose to Indiana, and I'm sorry, it's not a quality win anymore. And, you know, 
I think it would help Ohio State if Penn State beats Michigan. Well, it would help them on a lot of levels, but but it would help them for the ranking, at least short term, if Michigan loses to Penn State. You know, we can talk about that later on if you want, but you know, that's that's the marquee game of the week is Ohio State's got Michigan State and well Michigan State beat, you know, the Nebraska, um, which some people had kind of thought might be the best team in the West. <laughs> and so I don't know. I think after you get through the big three and the big ten, you got not much. I mean, we talk and we think Rutgers might be the fourth best team. We had this discussion. First, we thought it was Maryland, and then we thought it was Wisconsin, and now we think it might be Rutgers. And if Rutgers is your fourth best team, no offense to Rutgers, but if that's the that's if they're number four out of fourteen, the Big Ten, with not much of a passing game, boy, oh boy, I got Indiana as my fifth best. So go figure that. I mean, they're one in five in the conference. Yeah, well, yeah, they played Penn State tight, and they just beat Wisconsin. So. You know, I mean, I think there's the five best. They're teams. one in five. Well, I'd, I'd like to see them, how they do against Iowa. Let's put it that way. Oh, my God. You're the only one who would like to see that game. The only one. Well, Iowa's probably going to win the West. And they're uh, – who wants to watch Iowa? Well, curiosity factor. I think Indiana could beat Iowa, and then you've got – okay. So the top nothing, five, right? the best five teams in the whole Big Ten are in the East. It is a it is a difficult exercise to rank Big Ten teams four through fourteen, but Rob Aller is is doing. Uh, <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on so it. You, so you don't have to. Hoosiers. Who's your worst team? And the worst team should be relegated. Purdue. It was Michigan State. I thought Michigan State. I thought thought it couldn't get any worse than Michigan State. Then they rise up. They rise up like the Sparty they are, and they and they win. And Purdue is just awful. Oh, maybe maybe uh, maybe Toledo gets the the bump up from the MAC, and Purdue gets uh, <laughs> Purdue a true obligation yeah. there. Yeah, although it was what was Ohio State Michigan score? Ohio State Michigan. I mean Ohio State Toledo this year. Mm. Toledo. You're you're thinking of last year. Well, whatever it was. <laughs> I think you're loopy. Yeah. It was a long weekend. Long weekend in New York City. <laughs> I'm going to miss not going back to Rutgers, though. Come on. We, the Big Apple, I mean, that's the one thing. Yeah, I told I was, I was, uh we were mentioning before the podcast, uh, this is the last time until 2027 that Ohio State will play at Rutgers. They're only going to play once over the, the next three seasons. It's become a uh, – annual series since Rutgers joined the Big Ten because of divisions, and they've both been in the East, so you play every year. No longer going to be the case. Uh, it's almost too bad because now Rutgers is actually kind of competitive and compelling, and they're 6-3. and three. They're a bowl game. Shiano's teams are – you never know what you're going to get on special teams. Uh, we saw a, a Fumble Ruski 2.0 version uh, on Saturday, but, but now uh, – you want to see Ohio State Rutgers, you have to wait until 2025 when they come to the horseshoe or plan your trip out to New Jersey for uh, 2027. Who would have ever thought you would have uttered those words? It's too bad. It's too bad Ohio State doesn't play Rutgers every year. I'm going to miss it. Well, it's it's a fun, it's actually an easy trip for like the sports riders, which I'm sure everybody uh, cares deeply. Yeah, they care deeply about that. But it's even, even for fans from Columbus, if you want to do a road trip, 
I mean, you can, yeah. it's, pretty, it's pretty easy. You take a, it's, it's a quick hour flight to, to Newark and you can go into the city. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good road trip and, and it's a good stadium. Their, their game day ops are pretty good. We walked down this boardwalk going to the game. I pet a bunny. They had a petting zoo. I pet a rabbit. Uh, did not. So, <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you clear. I'm clear, glad you clarified that. <laughs> it was a rabbit. I, I guess is there a difference between bunnies and rabbits? Well, Joey, Joey being an LA guy, I'm not sure you've ever seen an animal before. We we have we have animals in LA. Well, yeah, not wild ones that like you know mountain lions that try to murder you. We have there coyotes. Lots of you have a lots of you used to have lots of bunnies in LA at the Playboy Mansion. I can't speak to that. Uh, well, that's why, Sam, glad you said rabbit. Clarified. It's, we did see, Joey and I did see in the middle of Newark, right in the middle of Newark, a deer right in the road. And he thinks it was two deers. It was one deer. But that's okay. Yeah, I was going to say, it was a bit surprising because we've been to the state of Indiana three times this year. The state of Wisconsin once. But we saw our first deer by a gas station near the Newark airport. <laughs> Quite bizarre. Anyway, let's get back to football. What? Why? what uh, Wait a minute. Why? Well, let's talk about Michigan. We're going to talk about Michigan State. Well, no, no, no. Well, no the Rutgers, we, we want to give the Rutgers. Let's talk game. about Travion Henderson and what he adds to this offense because he's been back for two games now and clearly has given the offense a jolt, a much needed jolt. Um, he's running really hard. He's very, very fast, as we've always known. He's kind of running with a purpose. He had the one play where he trucked the guy and like got up like he wanted more, like Rocky, you know? I mean, he's he's looks like a, a man on a mission. And that little dump-off pass that he thought, okay, maybe he'll get a first down on this one. And he just ran through and around and passed the Rutgers defense for 65 yards. He's a difference maker. You add him with Marvin Harrison and you – they got a, a, a Buka back, and like a Buka back last. They didn't do a whole lot, but they got a back. Um, you know, they didn't have Kate Stover, so we'll see if he's back this week. But you know, having Marvin Harrison and Travion Henderson is it just makes such a difference. Travion Henderson is the first Ohio State running back since Trey Sermon in 2020 to have over 200 all-purpose yards in in back-to-back games. So. He certainly, I think, is a their biggest playmaker they've had out of the backfield in, in some time. And, and I think they need that because when you watch them try to run the ball, there are so many times when they hand off and there's just nowhere to go and you get stuck at the line of scrimmage or it's a one-yard gain or it's even a one-yard loss. And I, I don't view those plays as ever on the running back because the the line should be good enough to always – get you get two three yards but what i think with the difference that trevion brings is sure there are going to be times when the back is stuck at the line of scrimmage because this is just the way the offensive line is they're not a great offensive line at the moment but he can rip the 10 yard the 20 yard the the long runs those those extra plays so instead of one yard no yards six yards it's no yards one yard then 12 yards and i think that's that's the real impact of of Travion, and then you have to talk about the the pass catching ability that that screenplay he takes for twenty for sixty five yards. It's third and nine. They're trying to go long past the sticks. Nothing's open, so so Comicord dumps off to Travion, 
and then just keeps racing past a half dozen records defenders. And the other thing I think we're noticing, I mean, at least I've noticed, tell me if I'm wrong, he was criticized last year, and again, he had the foot injury, which is a big reason for this, but he he kind of danced in the backfield, and he wasn't real assertive. It didn't wasn't a north-south runner, didn't hit the hole very uh, consistently hard. And I think you're seeing him do that this year. I, you know, there's not the hesitation. And, and the, you know, there's there's a time and a place for a running back to be very patient. I mean, Le'Veon Bell made a career out of, of doing that. You're like, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Boom. Um, but Trayvon looked kind of indecisive last year at times. And, again, the foot, I think, is the reason. This year he looks much more decisive hitting the hole. And, you know, like Joey said, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. He, at least, you know, there was a play a couple weeks ago where he looked like he got hit in the backfield or was going to get hit in the back. And he got four yards out of it. And, and those those are important. He, and he's doing that. He's kind of maximizing the yardage there. And and that's huge. Yeah, it's he's very situational in that, I mean, Joey nailed it. I don't he, – he seldom breaks a tackle. So he's not going to – you know, he needs space. He needs that hole to be there, and then he can explode through it. He's got pretty good burst, great speed. But he's not a guy that's going to – yeah, I'd love to know yards after. Maybe Joey could come up with that at some point. But yards after contact, you got it right now. Got it so right. It cannot, now. it cannot be great. I mean, uh, at Rutgers, it was he had 56 yards after contact out of 128 rushing yards. So 44 percent of his rushing yards were after contact. You see the top guys, typically in the Big Ten, two thirds of their yards coming after contact. This is just under half. So to yeah. Point. So yeah, he's just not. Uh, but that's okay. You just well, you, a lot you, of you that want, is you'd want your lines, but that just means your line has to open holes for him. He's not going to go up the middle. You know, he he's not going to make. He's not. He is not a guy. Uh, he's been a huge difference maker for him, no doubt. And you know, without him, the the offense is really bogged down. But he's not a guy that's going to make something out of nothing. His his. Yards after contact for the year are actually better than what was reflected Saturday, though. He had, out of his 585 rushing yards this year, 328 are coming after contact. That's 56%, which is pretty good. And I think his style of running is also not to necessarily run forward contact, then run over contact. I remember Tony Alford talking about that with Mayan Williams last year. I mean, his MO is he accelerates into contact and wants to run somebody over. I don't think Travion's trying to do that. And I don't think he should either. He's fast enough and he's quick enough where you should make a move and get around a guy. You don't want to dance too long, but but hey, he's got some some quick feet. Uh, he's got some afterburners. Use them. Well, the other reason that number of yards after contact might not be that high is that when you have a, you know, you don't get touched on a 50-yard run, then it's 50 yards where you don't get that, you know, credit for yards after, after contact. So, you know, I, He's he is more elusive than he is. You know, he'd rather run by you or around you, but he's strong enough to run through you. Um, like I said, that one time when he trucked the guy and got up looking for more, not that that was a pretty um, uh, revelatory play. I mean, that that showed a, kind of a different side of him. I think. Yeah, I'm not saying he's afraid of contact. He just. Oh yes, you are. <laughs> it's just. He needs, you know, he needs space, and they they need him. I think that's the bottom line. We yeah, can, they definitely we need can, him. We can no move doubt. off that because he's like he is a he's a matchup problem. Uh, Ryan Day said that um, 
last week, and um, he's just got that extra burst. I think of all the players where if you're trying to design a scenario or think of the way, uh, first week of December, Ohio State's in the Big Ten Championship game. They've defeated Michigan. I think a big reason they would be in that situation would, would be because of Travion Henderson. It's hard to imagine them being there and them not getting a lot of a lot out of Travion. He feels like the swing player. If you get a, a really good Travion Henderson, they probably win the Big Ten and they beat Michigan. And if they don't get get enough from him, they probably don't. And then they could be it's probably oversimplifying things because there are a bunch of other factors too. But in terms of the, if you're ranking the the most critical factors, being able to run the ball, being able to have an explosive guy out of the backfield, if they don't have him. I don't think they have that, and so I think it's why he's such an important player um, for them. At the moment, I, at the moment, I put him more important than Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, it's close. Yeah. Marvin Harrison Jr. is unbelievable, but but you got You don't really have a running game without him, so. You know, and you still would have you still have some decent receivers now. Marvin Harrison, obviously, you know Heisman candidate, all that. But in terms of just pure need, Trevion Henderson is is more important to the offense than Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I get your point, but I mean, I still think Marvin dictates so much of what defenses have to do in terms of shading coverage and and the fear the fear factor of of Instant, instant touch. Now, Henderson does that too. I mean, look, they're complementary. You need a running threat, and you need a passing or receiving threat, and they give it to them. You know, Ohio State didn't not having Henderson in last year's game really hurt them. I mean, I think it just it just did. You know, they, they used Chip Trainum. I was like, remember, <laughs> he comes out like, Chip, what's he doing? You know, because we hadn't really seen him run before. Uh, maybe like he had what one carry or something like that, but going into that game, um, and he'd only switched from linebacker a month early, right? Right. So, I mean, people don't even talk about not having a healthy Travion or having any Travion Henders, let alone a healthy one, in the last year's game. You know, they didn't. That's one of their best players. And so, and they, they, you know, that certainly made a difference and, and very well may make a difference in, in three weeks. Part, part of my thought on Travion is I think Marvin at this point is just more bankable than, than Travion has been. Just be he had a stretch where he had – Four games of over 100 receiving yards, and Travion's had injuries and in that situation, and there were times earlier in the year where he doesn't look as good as he looks now. So I think that's part of my thing with with Travion being sort of the swing player is because I think Marvin at this point has has proven a little more week in and week out to be consistent. But if you can get Travion to stay at that level, I think that that changes things for them. Well, last thing I'll say on that is – they, coaches don't think this way, but I think this way, and, and fans probably might think this way. Travion does have some history of, you know, injury. Do you use him sparingly the next two games? Do you maybe let some other guys get more carries just to preserve him for Michigan game because he is so vital to the offense? Well, look, if, if they're up – 35 nothing at halftime against Michigan State or 28 nothing at halftime. I'm not talking that. I'm talking some valuable, you know, when the game's still, you know, early. I mean, no, I you got to win the game. You got to, you got to. Well, yeah, but it's Michigan State and Minnesota. I mean, so, I know, so. but, and, you know, he wants to be in a rhythm. He wants to feel fresh. He wants to play. I mean, he missed three games. Well, who cares he what he play. wants? <laughs> well, 
<laughs> no, I look, I, I don't keep them in longer than you have to, but you play your you play your guys. Well, now, I get if he's, that. If I he's, get if that, he's but... hurt, I mean Cade Stover, do you play him this week? If there's any question, probably not. But you know, Henry Travion, you know, he's as healthy as any player is this time of year. So yeah, I mean, do they take it easy on Emekic Buka if he's not truly a hundred percent? Sure. Um, but you got to win the game and you want to maintain the standard that you, that you've established. And so you, and you can't assume anything. Look, we know Michigan state's bad. It did beat Nebraska last week. You just can't assume anything. You, you have to. And, and also I think it's a bad message to your team. If you start saying, okay, we don't need to play our best players in this game kind of thing. Cause we know. Yeah. It's, Again, you know, not it's saying terrible. don't, pl- not saying don't play. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm not saying you're going to bench him, but. I'd you be give, judicious. You give, you give Chip Trainer more carries or, or things yeah, like exactly. that. But, but I do think there's value to getting him in a rhythm. I think I think right. that that, that right. matters and, and that sort of thing. Moving right along. <laughs> we didn't, we haven't really talked too much about the defense here. Um, you know, there is a there is a concern because you have two guys that are out, Lathan Ransom and Denzel Burke. And when Day was asked, Ryan Day was asked about them after the game, he basically deferred comments, but just his body language and the tone of his voice didn't make it sound like those guys are coming back real soon. Yeah, it sounded more like he was uh, – he didn't – the way he got asked, I, I didn't think he was just being vague and withholding it. It almost seemed like he didn't really quite know. Well, maybe. I mean, that, yeah, right. He said we won't know and we'll know later in the week. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, but – they dodged one when Josh Proctor at least seemed fine. We talked to the reporters after the game. You know, he got on that collision with the interception. He got his bell wrong and said he didn't really know what was going on during that play. It took him a while to get up. Um, he seemed fine after the game. But you never know. I mean, it could be delayed effects with a concussion or, or whatever. And so they could be without, well, certainly, you know, two and maybe three of their guys are playing true freshmen at corner and safety, uh, Malik Hartford at safety, and Jermaine Matthews at, at cornerback. And those guys, I think, are pretty good freshmen, but they're still freshmen. So, again, the key is not so much Michigan State and Minnesota. It's Ann Arbor. Uh, those guys are going to be ready for Ann Arbor. Yeah, I think those are those are pretty critical guys. Uh, uh, Denzel's been a huge lockdown guy for them this year. And I think he just gives – he's going to give – if you have Denzel Burke – it's really important for them because they give you get so much more positional flexibility there because you can have Jan- Jordan Hancock play snaps in the slot. You can, or you can have, or you could have Sonny Styles play in the slot. And when you when you don't have, although if Lathan Ransom's out, you're probably having Sonny Styles play for for Lathan Ransom on the, on the boundary side of the field. So the, the, both of those guys are important because it allows them to I think mix and match for matchups a lot more. Although Michigan's such a run-oriented team, you almost wonder they might play three linebackers more in that game too. But you obviously want as many pieces as you have for a matchup like like Michigan, where you want to be able to, uh, to try to get your best matchup on the field. Yeah, losing Denzel Burke is a, is is a little bit like losing Trevion Henderson. I mean, in terms of him, his importance to that defense. Joey said at the lockdown corner, um, those guys are are a rare breed. So I would expect him to be back. As far as they, how he addressed it after the game, my take on that is, you know, it's November and uh, paranoia 
ramps up as it gets closer to the Michigan game. These guys don't want to say anything. They don't want to. They just like they're locked in. I mean, Urban did that. Um, they all do that in terms of the Michigan game and and not they don't. It's better to say too little than too much. The uh, that is the short fans. The injury updates: Cade Stover, Denzel Burke, Lathan Ransom. The ones to to watch this week against Michigan State. I will say the thing that is impressive about the defense is they had new guys in the back end. They have guys like Jermaine Matthews who who have uh, who filled some important roles for them. They they really handled themselves well when their backs up when they're backed up against the goal line because we saw it against. Wisconsin, where it was the end of the, the second quarter. It looked like they were about to go in. They ball at the one-yard line. And then Tommy Eichenberg uh, sniffs out that that sh- shovel pass, and, and they force Wisconsin into a field goal. Wisconsin, Rutgers had the ball six times inside the red zone. They come away with one touchdown. And Ohio State came away with a one touchdown, too, on the on the pick six uh, where, where uh, Josh yeah. Parker breaks yeah. it up. And uh, – Jordan Hancock returns their first score. So Ohio State had as many touchdowns in the red zone as, as Rutgers did. I think they they really it they don't flinch in those situations. Jim Knowles mentioned that a week ago. And I don't think you could have imagined that from the defense in, in previous years where they have the ball inside the 20. You think they're just gonna get a stop. I mean, that's the I think that's the almost become the expectation in watching them where they're inside the 20 and, and you think good chance they can hold no field goal here. That's what they did three times. I would think I, – I still think that might be the biggest play of the year. I know the Notre Dame, the score, obviously, uh, to score there at the end and win it. But this was a game changer in terms of, of changing momentum, of absolutely having to have something like this uh, go in your favor. I mean, Rutgers had all momentum. Rutgers was outplaying them at that point. And then Hancock and and uh, Proctor kind of combine on on that huge play where I think Proctor made the hit, uh, paid the price. Although look, he was talking to media after the game, so I, th- I think he's okay. But and then Hancock grabs it and goes the distance, and it was a weird play because there were flags thrown. And it was like, oh, this this is coming back, but it ended up being on Rutgers. That was just. That was huge. I mean, I think, again, I, I'll put it as the biggest, obviously the biggest defensive play of the year, I think. Well, Josh Proctor had the pick six against Maryland when Maryland was up, what, 10 nothing. Yeah, but but I don't think Maryland was. And they were out playing Ohio State, too. It was 10 nothing. Yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, but I just think Rutgers is bar- better than Maryland. So that's where I'm putting that on. I I just, yeah, I, I agree with you now, no question. But I don't know that we, at the time, thought Maryland was, uh, was Rutgers, that Rutgers was better than Maryland when Maryland played Ohio State. Maryland, Ohio State destroyed Maryland somehow, whether physically, psychologically, something. They've been awful since they played Ohio State. Well, that's that's Maryland almost every year. I know that's the Maryland thing. It is a Maryland thing. If you, uh, I was looking this up. Maryland way. I was looking up the win probability uh, for the game last night, and uh, at that point, before the interception by uh, by Jordan Hancock. It was down to a 68% win probability for Ohio State with Rutgers driving to start the the third quarter. And after that play, it jumped back up to 90, 91.7%. Uh, yeah. So that was that was a uh, a 
20 uh, plus percentage point swing uh, in the game. So pretty. That pretty was Chris Gamble. That was Chris Gamble against Penn State in 02. And I think it would have changed a lot because at that point in the game, if Ohio State goes down two scores, the way they were throwing the ball, Rutgers does a good job of taking away deep stuff. They they dropped two safeties. They were one of the best teams in the country at limiting explosive plays. Coming into the game, they and Ohio State were the only two teams that hadn't allowed plays of, of 40 yards or more from scrimmage. That They no longer uh, have that distinction uh, between the two teams, both both allowed that Saturday. But they do a good job of, of containing the big stuff. So if you're Ohio State, I don't think you want to get into a game with Rucker at that point where you're down two scores and, and maybe feeling the need to, to press more. So I think that, that was – even if they just got to stop at that point, that would have been big because Ohio State was still only down 9-7 at that point of the game. But then to get a lead, I think it allowed Ohio State to play at a much more ball-controlled pace against Rutgers. It flipped – it definitely flipped the script. You want to – do you guys have anything else you would like to – talk about either with Rutgers game or for college football at large before we send people out here in a few minutes? Well, Michigan, we just got to touch on Michigan, right? I mean, come on, Harbaugh, uh, what's going on there? Is Harbaugh going to even be around for the Michigan-Ohio State game? This is, this is, Excuse this is me, the Ohio State-Michigan game. This is great fodder for you, the the, the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. If you are a local columnist. Uh, oh, man, it's the, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Let me tell you. Thank you, Jim, <laughs> thank you, Jim Harbaugh and Wolverines. Thank you, Connor and, uh, You know, right now Michigan feels like it's the, you know, my daddy is a lawyer and we're going to sue you if you try to do anything. Uh, that's just the the tone that's coming out of uh, Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, it's like past the popcorn stuff. Just absolutely love what's going on here. Yeah, because we don't have to cover it on a daily basis. <laughs> I yeah, my my uh, my feeling is I feel for those beat writers because you try to cover a season and yeah. uh, deal with the Michigan uh, deal with an off the field scandal that's never never fun. But uh, I'm sure nobody nobody really cares. I'm sure they here in Columbus it is it is great wonderful fodder because. It's, it never ceases to to end. And last week, it had the whole thing about Connor Stallions may have been on the sideline at the Central Michigan game, so it even feels more ridiculous, more brazen. And and Central Michigan said last week that they were going to look into the the whole thing. They they still haven't identified uh, who it is. And if it was not Connor Stallions, it would seem to me that it would be very disapproval right. because Central Michigan would come out on Thursday and say, "Oh yeah, that's." Uh, that's John Smith. He's our uh, assistant personnel, player personnel director. Well, yeah, that's like <laughs> Tony Jones. He's the uh, the EQ guy. I mean, he hasn't been identified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it it's is, impossible. It's, 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 <laughs> it's comical, right? It's, there's there's an, a comic element to it because it's so it's so amateurish, you know, which is <laughs> in certain ways it's so amateurish. It's, it's so stupid. If you are going to get involved in a massive sign-stealing scandal, I would not walk in the middle of the, the road. It's like if you robbed a bank and then you walked across the intersection and then waved the, the bag of money over your head and say, hey, everybody, look what I'm doing. And he bought tickets in his own under his own name. <laughs> I mean, it is it is like the Houston Astros for your banging uh, trash cans. Right. I mean, right. it's just, it's just it's the, the rudimentary, dumb... Uh, and then the accusations flying at Ohio State, which I'm not. It doesn't even worth getting 
into well, it. I mean, that's why this thing's like an onion. I love it. There's just, just layers. Keep feeling it, baby. Keep well, feeling I, it. I'm, uh, I'm half jokey. I'm mostly jokey. But this guy was an ex-Marine. I'm, I'm kind of concerned about our, our the troops here. This is our, our reconnaissance work. <laughs> oh, I've heard a lot of ex-Marines who are just destroying this guy. As he's been, he's, he's an embarrassment to us. And, uh, you know, when we talk about intelligence, well, that has several different meanings. But there's not a lot of intelligence that seems to be coming from uh, Connor Stallion's uh, story at this point. Yeah. Some sloppy work. Uh... Sloppy. Clunky. Kind of like Ohio State's offense. A little clunky. But playing within bounds, I assume. Yes. Well, that of does course. it for our uh, post-game Rutgers edition of the podcast. Ohio State won in Piscataway 35-16 to on Saturday. Thanks, as always, for joining us, having a listen, downloading, subscribing. As always, it's at Michigan State on tap for the Buckeyes and visit dispatch.com for, for coverage throughout the week. Thanks for listening. Be sure and subscribe to the Buckeye Extra podcast in the iTunes store, the Google Play store, or on Stitcher.